The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Change is the one constant in life. It is inevitable and it will happen to all of us at one time or another. Whether we like it or not, people and circumstances will change. We will get sick, loved ones will die, jobs will be lost, couples will grow apart, and children will move out. And when that happens, we are scared and sometimes lost. But here is the good news. Each one of us can write the next chapter of our life. No matter what we face, with the right mindset and unwavering tenacity, we can raise the curtain to a second act. I'm Joan Herman, and through my Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life brand and Second Acts, it is my mission to give you the tools, inspiration, and motivation to write the next part of your story. And what a story it will be. Welcome to Second Acts. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for joining us. Today's guest, Christine Carlson, says that it's possible to love your life after loss and major change. Christine knows this because she's lived it. In 2006, after building the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff franchise with her husband, Dr. Richard Carlson, Christine's perfect story took a tragic turn when Richard passed away unexpectedly. In a blink, Christine's best friend and life partner was gone. Through that tragedy, she came to understand intimately how our losses are our defining moments and that how we go through them shapes us. Christine is a New York Times bestselling author, transformational speaker, and guide for people experiencing major life transitions. She's the author of the book, Heartbroken Open, A True Story of Coming Alive Again After Profound Loss. Welcome, Christine. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thank you so much for having me. Christine, I always love when you come on the show because your story, it, it's so inspiring because I, a lot of our followers, and, and you know my story as well, a lot of us have experienced different types of loss and pain and tragedy in our lives. And when we get to hear a story like yours, it offers so much hope for all of us. So for those who may not be familiar with your work or who may not have heard you on the show before, you had your life ripped apart by the loss of someone that you love. So Tell us a little bit about Richard and what your relationship was like. Um, you know, I met Richard when I was 18 years old and he was 20. We were in college and we literally had that love at first sight or first meeting fairy tale story. I mean, we just really instantly knew that we were meant to be together and 
we lived just about 25 years with a lot of incredible moments, a lot of incredible times together, and a, a high level of compatibility. So we really were um, best friends and really all relationships to each other, you know, best friends, lovers. Um, we were work partners. We were parents. We just, we had a great, a great life. And midlife, um, I was 43, Richard was 45, um, took a, t- a sudden turn. And it was about 10 years into our, his best-selling book, um, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And we were very fully into building the brand of Don't Sweat the Small Stuff at that time. Um, but at the 10th anniversary of Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Richard got on a plane and on the descent of a flight into New York where he was going to do some media for his latest book, he had a pulmonary embolism on the descent of that flight. And it took his life immediately. And, um, you know, it's just it's one of those shocking stories that, people have. And, you know, I'm no different than anyone else. There's so many people in the world that have had a similar story, you know, and it, it, when you get that phone call that you're on, that's unexpected like that, it, it literally is like having the rug, the floor pulled out from underneath you, the rug is pulled out from under your feet. And I felt like, um, that day that I heard the news of his death, um, I felt like I died too. I died with him. And in many ways, you know, I've discovered whether you've gone through loss from divorce, from death, it it feels that way because your life does take a, a different turn. And mine definitely took a different turn the day that he died. How were you able to navigate losing your best friend? And all that went with that relationship and now finding yourself a a single mother trying to figure out what the next move would be. You know, I think um, none of us know how we're going to respond to that kind of news until it happens to us. And something that Richard said often in his work to people was that the circumstances of life don't make or break you, but they rather reveal who you are. And I felt like a lot of the things that Richard had said came back to me as as little instructions. And I sort of took a lot of these things that he said, um, and I, 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 I heard him say them to me, even in my loss. And I just, I think for myself, I am not somebody who's prone to victimhood. And I've always just stood in my circumstances and said, wow, you know, I don't always like what life gives me, but I'm going to make the most out of what's here. And I didn't, you know, initially, of course, I felt that it was unfair that Richard died so young. And initially, of course, I felt very scared. Um, I, of course, had a lot of fear about how I was going to even take a breath without him. But I think I definitely knew that um, it probably wasn't an accident in our soul journey. And Mm I, you know, had lived a very spiritually rich life with Richard. We were early meditators. We'd sat at the feet of many um, gurus at ashrams. We had done a lot of personal development work and dove, had dove into our own psychology at a really young age for different reasons. And, I think all of that work really paid great dividends for me and my uh, ability to allow my loss 
to transform me and change me and awaken me to something better. And I like to say, you know, it's true that there really is two paths. There's a path that will take you to a better life, and there's a path that will take you to bitterness. And there isn't a lot of gray space in between for a lot of people. So if you can choose the path that does not make you a victim of your circumstances, but rather allows you to do your grief, to grieve properly, to um, feel your feelings, and to keep stepping into life every single day, um, then you'll be on a path to um, a better life at some point. And that's not to say that the path of grief is an easy one. It's not. It's, It's wrought with sorrow and pain and dark corners and you have to really search out what is light for you search out your support um, not isolate yourself in grief I mean so many people might think that isolation is the way to go but it it actually really um, can be quite harmful to isolate yourself too long in grief so you know looking for support looking for light um trying to stay inspired and, and just following the breadcrumbs each day of how do you get out of bed? How do you look for what there is in life that's going to keep you looking for more life? And, you know, there's a time of survival. There really is. I, I've been helping a lot of people in grief lately, and I and know not to say too much about being too far down the path too early because, there is a time that we are very wounded and very, very um, grief stricken and stricken down. And during those times, it's not really that comforting for somebody to think of their future. It's more comforting to just go through where they are in the moment. And if you can hold space for somebody in the moment and allow them to be where they are without trying to fix them, that's oftentimes the most helpful thing you can do for somebody in grief. Yeah. I like when you say we don't sweat the small stuff when we're living the big stuff, because what I've learned to do over the past few years is is when I start to get upset about something or, or feel pain about something, I say to myself, if I were sick or if something really bad happened, would I care about this thing that's upsetting me so much? And I've learned that sure. most of the things that I get upset about really don't matter. Yeah, that's so true. And that's a great way to get your perspective back is is to ask yourself questions like that. That's so healthy, Jen. You and I are, I like to say, on the other side. I mean, you're always going through it's a process. But when you do come out on the other side, you see those moments where you could have gone in that one direction you talked about and, and stayed in that pain. But making that decision to go the other way, it's a hard one. But that's where you end up with so many beautiful things. So really are wonderful things that can come out of the ashes of pain. I'm not saying that we want them <laughs> at the time. You know, we don't wish the pain, but there really are wonderful things. We don't, we don't want things. them delivered, yeah, in that way. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely don't want them delivered in that way. <laughs> but, you know, I kind of say to myself now, if I'm in this situation, I might as well look for the blessings because I'm here. So this is the choice. I can look for the blessings or I can stay in the pain. Yeah, I love um, something my dear friend Karen Salmonson says. She said that when you look for the lesson and then you get the blessing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were saying, Christine, that you lived a, a spiritual life. And 
when you went through all of this pain, was everything that you practiced available to you right there? Or did you find yourself in all of that grief and, and kind of stuck? You know, I can't say that I was ever stuck in grief. I felt like grief was um, something that was undeniable and that um, the only moments I felt like maybe I wasn't grieving enough was when my stomach would hurt and that would tell me that, oh, I need to cry more. I started making that correlation because I would get a really bad stomach ache and then I would cry really hard and the stomach ache would go away and I would say, oh, there's my body teaching me how to grieve and saying, rewarding me for doing it right. And so I would just let myself be in the present moment, but also let myself feel all the feelings of just, you know, everything you go through from feeling terrified at your future to incredibly angry and sad and just so sad and so longing for that person that you love, you know, longing yeah. to talk with them and laugh with them and brush your teeth and have toothpaste flopped all over your face with them. You know, <laughs> Christine, what you're describing right now was really the biggest thing that I know I had to release. It was all those supposed to be's, you know, the way everything mm -hmm. was supposed to be the way you envision your life, you know, you envision that toothpaste there, it was supposed to be there. And until you could let go of that, it's really hard to move forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I find that that is the that is the key for all people is is they're reconciling, you know, the loss of a dream, the loss of their future, the loss of how they thought it would be. And when you can finally stand at the edge of the moment of, of this moment and say, I don't see what my future is, but oh man, I'm so glad to be alive. Then you know you've healed. Well, that goes back to when when you and I first spoke today, I remember saying to you, wow, you've had such a monumental year. And if you look back at all that you've gone through, would you have ever believed that you're where you are right now? Did you see this for yourself? You know, I, I just, I didn't know what my future was. I really didn't. I mean, I had cues. Um, I had sort of hints along the way that that um, this was going to be my future. I mean, immediately after Richard died, um, people started asking me to speak. And I was really asked to, you know, take over the brand. I was asked to, you know, do um, lots of responsibilities for Richard. And while I wasn't really that capable the first two years, um, I, I did kind of see that this was probably where I was headed, but I didn't know how it was going to come about. And and I just, I really just started um, writing from my heart and, and just speaking from my heart. I didn't, I didn't really plan anything. I never planned to write a book. I was asked to write a book, so I did. And, and then I wrote another book because I felt like that was somehow going to complete me in the whole grief world, but it really didn't. <laughs> I, I think what once you've entered into this path, um, it's your dharma. You know, you yeah. become this servant of God and the servant of the divine. And, and it, it becomes your dharma to actually help other people out of their um, suffering. And I know one of the th things that people come to me for, which I never charge for is initial, you know, conversation about how to grieve. And when I talk with anybody, I, I, you know, really my initial thing is just to try and connect them 
um, to their spirituality and to spirit and to give them a few sort of, you know, pointers on how to do this life with grief. And, um, and then they're on their own. And I think people grieve naturally if they just allow grief to come. If you suppress it, then it's going to have its day. Just talk to a young woman who I'm very close to. Um, her mother was um, one of my dearest, closest friends from my whole life. I knew her since I was 14 years old. Somebody I just looked up to and admired, a beautiful, gorgeous, graceful, wise woman um, my age, one year older, and she died of cancer last year. And her daughter is my goddaughter. And I just, I was so surprised I hadn't heard from her. And finally, yesterday was the first anniversary. And I, I was on a call with somebody and I saw her name on my phone and I said, I'm sorry, I have to go. And I picked up the phone and she was gasping for air. And I said, oh, my God, I've been waiting for this call. And I knew that she just, you know, she just hadn't, she couldn't do it yet. Like it wasn't, it's not as if she wasn't grieving, but she hadn't had those, that deep primal, I can't live without her moment yet. And, um, and, and she had it yesterday. And I'm, I'm hoping that's the beginning of a real opening for her to, allow her grief to come if she if you can come out of one very very horrible wave like that and the fact that she actually did pick up the phone and call for help was a really good sign and you can you can learn to come out of every wave like that and I think that's the fear that people have is they're gonna drown in their own grief which when you lose somebody that you love that much definitely feels that way sometimes Christine, what do you say to someone who's navigating grief? But it, it's been some time now. You know, you just shared a story that's a year out from the loss. I look at my life. I'm 12 years out now from my mom, sister, and husband, all of that loss. And, you know, some days I'm fine, you know, more often than not now. But I can be walking down a supermarket aisle and see a box of cereal and start to cry. <laughs> so what do you say to someone when they're say they say something like, I should be better now. Well, I mean, honestly, Joan, I think that as a culture, we've done a really poor job of, of making it safe for people to grieve. You know, I think as a culture, we've told people that initially those that first time period, you busy yourself out of it and you just try not to think about it and you shove it aside. And I really feel like grief is something we have to own. And I, the way I talk about it is that grief isn't the enemy. A lot of people in the grief world really hate grieving. I mean, they really do. I have many friends in the grief world, and they're just, they just hate grief. And I always say, well, you know what? Grief is actually a friend. Grief has come to heal you. And that's the way if you embrace grief in that way that this is a temporary situation, that this is um, these emotional responses that you're having are not depression. These are responses that you're having because you're grieving, because you loved, because you loved deeply and you're attached and you have to find your way, um, find your way to that spirit that is, you know, was a person that you knew that is now a, a spirit so that you can feel the sense of them and that continued relationship. Um, this is incredibly helpful for people, and, and it, it's hard for people who aren't open to it. They're the, the hardest people. Um, they go through the worst because they're not open to really understanding that their person is 
not a human anymore, but they're still a spirit. They're still, they're still the essence of who they are is will exist for eternity. And Mm -hmm. it's up to you as, as the human being to invite their spirit to be with you and, and to acknowledge the, the signs that they give you and just the warmth and the love that's present when they're present and you're present to it. You had said that you always offer some grief tips to help people navigate a loss. If you could kind of sum it up and and give your best advice right now, what would that be? Well, the first thing I would say, and I always say is that, you know, life is different now. Um, It's not too unlike if you sat down at your doctor's office and they said, look, you have a, an illness and you're going to get over this illness, but you're not going to feel very good while you're going through it. And you're going to have to make space to take care of yourself. You're going to have to make space to bring a life around this illness, live your life with it, because that's essentially what grief is. Grief is not an illness. Grief is an emotional response to loss, but it is temporary and it has come and it is a part of your world and life now. And, you know, we're different after we've gone through loss than we were the day before. We're very different. And you probably never go back to your life living life the way you did. You're going to live life differently. And grief is going to teach you how to feel very deeply. Grief is going to teach you compassion, self-compassion, um, it's going to teach you a lot, but you have to make space for it. That's the first thing. You have to make space for it, and you have to take care of yourself with kid gloves. You really, really have to acknowledge what you're feeling when you're feeling it. And that means that maybe you have a dental appointment on Wednesday at 10 o'clock, and Wednesday at 9.30 comes, and you are in grief, and you're having a wave, and you call your dentist up and you say, I'm sorry, I cannot make my dental appointment at 10 o'clock because I'm grieving and I'm in grief right now. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that you have to make way for because you don't know when grief is going to hit you. Now, 12 years later um, is different than three months out, you know, like three months out, you, you might be in the grocery store and and start crying and not be able to breathe. And, 12 years later, you're going to be in the grocery store and yes, you might start getting weepy, but it's a softer, gentler form of grief. And so initially you just, you have to really make space for grief and you have to, then you have to make space for allowing yourself um, those moments. And I was telling um, my goddaughter yesterday, I was saying, you know, you, this is, good what you're doing I know it feels terrible but this is good because every time you do this you're like an, a faucet that's emptying out this grief from your body from your soul and you're cleansing and you're emptying and then you know you're going to feel better you may feel exhausted you may feel but you'll feel better you'll feel peaceful and this is something that may happen more often now that you've opened up the channel you know and it's an emptying process. You're emptying out so that you're carving out a place, an empty reservoir to fill it with more life. And yeah. that's essentially what's happening, I believe, in the grief process. We're letting go. 
letting go of our loved one in the human way, and we're making way for more life. And I love what Cahil Gibran says. There's this, my favorite quote of all time is that our greatest joy is our sorrow unmasked. So as you cry and scream and holler and shout and cry your tears and go through your sorrow, joy will come. You're carving out a place in your heart for more joy. And you're expanding your heart to more love and to more love and a better life. Yeah, that's such... Great advice, Christine, because so many people are afraid to feel those feelings and they try to stuff them and suppress them and they never really deal with them and, and they never them. carve out that space. Yeah, that's so true. And I, I just really believe that from my own path, you know, I I know, I know and from leading many, many people through grief and their and their suffering, I know that this is the way to health, this is the way back to joy. I just saw a widow that I helped um, years and years and years ago. Her husband um, was walking, or her husband was outside, and his dog got up on the train tracks that were behind her house. And he was, she saved his dog from being hit by the train, but he got hit himself. And um, and she came to one of my um, grief, my women's grief circles, and I mean, she was a real, you know, understandably a real mess. And, I just saw her yesterday. It's been many years, and she's just full of radiant joy, full of joy, just, you know, just totally radiant joy. And I was just, I'm so, I'm always so happy when I see that because I know that people fully recover um, from horrible loss and from shocking loss. And the thing that they all do that is really powerful is they allow themselves the time they allow themselves the time and space to grieve and that's a great place to leave this conversation because when you are in grief you don't see that type of future for yourself you don't think you'll ever experience radiant joy so if you would like to get a copy of christine's book heartbroken open a true story of coming alive again after profound loss you can visit christinecarlson.com christine in about 30 seconds or less What's the final word? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, I'd just like to say that sometimes our greatest sorrow can move us forward in life so that our lives have greater meaning. And that again, you know, just to reiterate that loss is a part of this human experience, just like joy and all the great things that we get to experience are a part of it. And the more that you can embrace change, the more that you can embrace the things that you might want to change, the better you'll be and the less suffering that you'll have. And and just remember, you know, it's, it's a journey. It's a journey. It's a process of discovery. It's a process of healing. And I just want to thank you, Joan, for having me on and for sharing with you today. Thank you so much for being here. I, I look forward to you coming back on. I, I wish we had more time because there's so much that I would like to cover with you. So we will definitely get you back on the show. Thanks, Joan. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. 
While on our site, subscribe to our mailing list, check out our articles, magazine, book club, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.